Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Beyond the Chalkboard. My name is Dr. Gordon Cobb, and I am thrilled to be your host this season. This podcast creates opportunities for KPU faculty to share ideas, inspire innovation, and give real-world examples of successful technology-based teaching strategies. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode of Beyond the Chalkboard, I'm talking with Dr. Robert Menzies, a faculty member in the History and Asian Studies departments at KPU. Robert and I discuss issues relating to accessibility, flexible delivery methods, and the assessment of student learning. We also talk about his blended and online courses and the incorporation of podcasts into his curricula. Let's get started. Here we go. Okay, we are here with Beyond the Chalkboard Season 2, and I'm your host, Dr. Gordon Cobb, and today I have the pleasure of hanging out with Dr. Robert Menzies, and I'm going to let him introduce himself in the 60-second challenge, but first I'm going to say, hi, Robert. Hi, Gordon. Are you ready for the 60-second challenge? It is a challenge to say anything in only 60 seconds. Yeah, I've heard that about you. Yes. And your 60 seconds begins now. I'm Robert Menzies, an instructor in the history department. My area of research is in cultural history of South Asian religion, specifically Hinduism. Um, I've been fortunate enough to teach in a number of places in North America, both in history and religious studies departments. One of the things that I'm really focused on is thinking differently about teaching. North American universities have an entirely different student demographic than when I was an undergrad in the 80s. And we also have different physical and technological environments. Um, so I'm trying to modify my teaching to suit this challenging, this, this changing demographic. And it helps me think differently. Um, things I can cogitate on when I'm riding on a motorcycle. Thank you, Robert. That was r- really close to 60 seconds. Well done. So I want to get into kind of like the nuts and bolts of your work here at KPU. And so... I just want you to tell me about maybe what kind of technology you're working with and how you're integrating it within your curriculum to move your students' learning forward within a higher education context. Um, I have I have issues. <laughs> I have issues with so many things. But one of my biggest issues <laughs> with teaching is access. Textbooks are expensive or problematic in various different ways. Students work, they have families, they have a lot of things going on in their personal life. So in history, several of us are trying to deal with this to be more flexible in how we deliver our material and then how we assess student learning. You know, Stalin's dead, Hitler's dead, um, Confucius is dead. What they said and what they did isn't changing. The question is, how do we get students to come to understand these um, these different people, um, what they did, why they did what they did? And then how do we assess that? And so that's kind of an underlying principle of what we're doing. Uh, in So with that in mind, in my courses, I try to eliminate costs as well as having different ways of accessing the material and then different ways of assess- assessing student work. For example... I have a 1,000 level course that is a blended online face-to-face course. So I recorded lectures in an audio podcast at about eight minutes-ish. Um, and those people who prefer face-to-face classes can come and they get the same lecture in person. So it's kind of a traditional lecture for them. But for those who want to do an audio podcast or they're working full-time or they're, they're at home for whatever reasons, they get the material in, in smaller eight-minute pieces. 
all of the assignments for that class are submitted online and the group project can can be flexible too they can meet in person they can meet electronically um like i said i have issues with textbooks so that means that to support these these electronically delivered classes i need to have um uh, open ed resources to replace textbooks in several of my classes i've had students create information dense projects like a biography of a person or biography of an event and i'm working to fold some of these together to become sort of a larger fact-based textbook students also have to do a critical thinking piece on this particular assignment but i'm using their their fact-based information to create sort of the, the background textbook for these courses and then I took that further in my cultural history of Buddhism class. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in Thailand taking photos of temples, some standard photos, some 360 degree photos. And then I created a floor plan map of the temple complex. And then I embedded the photos in these little pop-up um, uh, embedded links within the, the floor plan. Students have to take, um, take a look at five photos and then find a, a, a link between these photos and develop a 50-word description so that we could use kind of as a, a pop-up um, text for them, uh, for the photos for later on. They also have to do a critical thinking piece on their collection of five um, pictures. And over time, this will become um, more and more complete as students add to it and as I use it over and over, and over again in, in, um, in different iterations of the course. And then the intention for this is to make it available It'll be open ed, so it'll be made available to other instructors who want to use it in other courses, and hopefully their students can then add, you know, add a different perspective from different disciplines, different methodologies. This is as close as we can get to an actual field school to immerse students in the physical space of the temple, but it's also an opportunity for them to get to do some deep research on a very specific aspect of Buddhist culture going beyond the printed text or going beyond philosophy or going beyond slideshows, but to sort of embed them within the culture as well. There's so much there that I want to unpack. Virtual, do you call them virtual environments? Virtual field school. Inside these temples, right? Well, we, we've taken the photos so students can look at a, 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 um, a top-down floor plan of the whole temple complex. And that was easy enough to do. I just used Word. I'm not super tech savvy. I require a lot of help from some of the IT folks. Um, so I just created this this uh, Word document and then embedded the hyperlinks in the document. So you scroll over it. Um, it it's sort of designed to be like a real estate agent's tour through a house. Okay. You look at it top down and then you scroll your your cursor over the floor plan and then you click on one of these hotspots and a, a photo pops up. Did you use H5P to create the hotspots? Yes. Yeah, H5P is pretty awesome, isn't it? I will take only a certain amount of credit for that. Um, I had a research grant and I had a, a student who's really tech savvy and interested in digital archiving. And, uh, and she assisted me in putting all of this together. So she sort of walked me through how to do the, the whole thing and helped me set that all up. And uh, Rajiv Janjiani and his folks were also really quite helpful in making sure that uh, that someone who's who believes in technology but is still a bit of a luddite was able to walk was able to walk through it, and um, and it wasn't all that complicated to do, but now uh, yeah, students can can go to this and they have access to 
actually as close as you can get to a temple without actually being there. Which is also democratic because you don't have to go there to kind of check it out. And, you know, you were saying H5P, so much of the technology that we use now really isn't that hard to use. You just need somebody to show you. And the great thing about the internet is that you can just go onto YouTube and, you know, ask YouTube, how do I do hotspots in H5P? And you get like 40 people who want to show you how. Well, yeah, again, speaking of democracy, um, the internet, I mean, one of the downsides of democracy is everybody can get on the internet, but one of the upsides is everybody's on the internet. So uh, experts can teach you how to change a tire or they can show you how to change strings on a guitar or play the saxophone or whatever, and they can walk you through the technological stuff. Um, I actually saw a YouTube video on how to change the hard drive in a laptop computer. For somebody like me who's never done something like that before, it was a bit disconcerting to be taking my computer apart, but I did it and it worked at the end of it because YouTube. Did you really? Yes, I did. You actually did that? I actually did that. Huh. That's actually, um, that's how my husband, he installed our dishwasher using a, a YouTube link <laughs> and I came home and he was jumping up and down because he's like, guess what? I installed our dishwasher and I was like, no way, because, uh, you know, I'm the handy one of the two of us and uh, he still brags about that to this day. So thank you, YouTube. It was one job I didn't have to do. Well, that's YouTube is really cool for a lot of things. And um, and again, I think in terms of you, you mentioned education and democracy and so on. Um, Knowledge is not proprietary. I realize corporations may or may not like to hear that, but knowledge is not proprietary. And there's a, there's a great visual analogy out of um, Hindu philosophy. Knowledge is the light on a can the candle flame, a flame on a candle. So if you light somebody else's candle flame by giving them a piece of knowledge, it doesn't put yours out. It just means two people now have that candle flame, and they can then share that knowledge with somebody else. That's kind of awesome. I sort of dig that. So you were going to tell me something about Moodle. Um, yeah, I, I use Moodle in all my classes. I don't accept paper assignments. Uh, everything's electronic, and that means that I can, again, in terms of access for students, if they have, uh, have busy jobs or busy lives or kids or whatever, um, they can submit electronically. They don't ha actually have to physically come to class to deliver uh, an assignment. It saves paper, saves trees and everything. Um, but also it means... By using Moodle, students have access to all the course material as long as they have an internet connection. And I realize there are still barriers to because you know people can't afford internet connections or they're they're living in rural areas and they don't have stable internet and so on. Um, but it's it's the best that I can come right now to making sure that students um, have access to um, to submitting their papers at a time that is convenient for them before the deadline, submitting everything electronically. Um, and then a number of us in history, uh, the, those of us who are doing Asian history, are looking to expand all of the OERs and create something that goes beyond Moodle itself. Um, create one great big huge module-based resource. We would have short articles that, um, that would then have hyperlinks to other articles. And the goal is to have a really large, really flexible, but methodologically sound alternative to printed, printed textbooks 
that if you decided to do a particular module on religion, it's all right there with lots and lots of short four or five page articles that then link hyperlink to other of the articles in that particular resource. So think Wikipedia except um, except vetted. Um, <laughs> and all of these projects are making me think differently, and that's one of the cool things about it. They're making me think differently about how I deliver the content. How does the technology that you're using make the process of delivering that material better in some way? It makes it more accessible because these open ed resources are then accessible on Moodle. And through the use of technology, you know, word processing, um, they're constantly evolving. I'm taking some of these students' assignments and taking, you know, five or six biographies of Gandhi or Nehru or the Mughal Emperor Akbar. Um, and I take them and I fold them together into one larger piece. And then the following year, the plan is to take other of these assignments and look to add to them. And then at some point in the future, I'm hoping to develop uh, a process whereby students, maybe in the applications of history uh, capstone, um, get students to work with these things. And it would become a student project to continue to add to this. So it's a constantly evolving piece. And that's the sort of thing that you can only really do when you're using, uh, and certainly you can do it with word processing, but then how do the students have access to it? Well, you load it to Moodle and ultimately we have maybe a wiki linked to the history page or, or something like that. So it becomes a, a piece of evolving, um, it's an evolving document really, where, and that's the only thing, the only way that you can do that is through the internet um, it's kind of a standard textbook sort of thing. It's just that it's delivered electronically. And what I love about it too is that if I was a student in your class and I saw that assignment and saw that previous students had contributed to kind of the, 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 the knowledge base that we're looking at, I would know that if I do a really good job, that I might become a part of that project like forever. So that that's going to drive me and it's it's going to inspire me to maybe work a little harder and to feel a sense of ownership over my work and to feel some pride if you pick me. Well, that's one of the things that um, in, in my in my classes when students do these biographies, I post certain of them anonymously to the website and then they have to comment on them and and have sort of an online discussion, just like you would in class, except it's drawn out over two weeks. So people have an opportunity to back up a step and actually you know, think through their answers instead of reflexively answer. Um, but because it becomes a, a sort of an evolving document, students have really sort of bought into some of these things because they know they're contributing to this and I'm not the only person evaluating them. And my experience has been students will very often work a little harder when they know the whole class is evaluating their work than if I'm the only person grading it. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that sense of public space, you're basically taking the public space, um, but doing it electronically. Now it's not worldwide. I would never do anything like, you know, post this sort of thing, um, worldwide on the internet with a person's name. Um, so it's always quite limited, um, really just to, to my students right now, but ultimately hopefully to all KPU students. But yeah, I think this sort of thing, because it's an evolving document, it's a, it's a, a, an open education resource that is constantly being added to and completed and, and tweaked. There is a sense of buy-in and a sense of ownership for the students. 
I think we should move on to the next segment where I ask you a whole bunch of questions really quickly. You ready? I am. Okay, here we go. What's your favorite app? Netflix. Favorite software? Whatever hasn't crashed recently. <laughs> favorite piece of hardware? Uh, I seem to spend a lot of time on my smartphone. Uh, favorite movie? Blade Runner. PC or Mac? Well, I've got to back up a step. Blade Runner or Monty Python's Life of Brian. Depends on the day. Yes, I get that. Okay. PC or Mac? PC. Sweet or savory? Can I have both? Yes. In a Disney animated film, who do you usually like better, the hero or the villain? Well, villains tend to be much more interesting. Not sure what that says about me, but villains. They're way more fun to play, too. Uh, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Ridiculously large memory. Sorry, I'm a nerd. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, okay. If you were a superhero, who would you be? Encyclopedia Man, the, <laughs> the ability to answer any question in excruciating detail. Uh, if you were, if you weren't in your current vocation as an instructor here at KPU, what other career path might you have taken? Annoying old guy lecturing the neighborhood on what's really going on in the world. There's not much money in that line of work, but, you know, it seems like right up my alley. Kind of like that guy in uh, Home Improvement who sat across the fence? Yeah. Always an answer for everything. Yeah. Okay. But not, not like a norm from Cheers. No. Okay. Yeah. No. We don't need one of those. Uh, name one of your personal heroes. Uh, not an individual, but the rock band Rush. Um, they always manage to balance creativity, um, intellect, thoughtfulness, lots of volume, and seem to have lots and lots of fun doing it. And they're Canadian. And they're Canadian. Who was your favorite childhood teacher? Didn't have one. Oh. Yeah, public school, I didn't really have a public school teacher who had a bunch of impact on me. Uh, I was just kind of there. That's too bad. Uh, who was your favorite university professor? Terrence P. Day at the University of Manitoba. He was a really, really good mentor, um, able to combine academic rigor and a sense of humor. And he really, uh, he pushed me in ways I didn't think of, I, I was capable of being pushed. And he, he's actually one of the reasons I ended up going into academics. Well, let's hope he hears this podcast, huh? Yeah. Uh, what do you love most about your job at KPU? Um, I'm really thrilled by the aha moment when a student just kind of goes, things are vague and aha, they're clear. And, and that develops into a really, really solid thesis statement. What do you love most about KPU? I get to learn stuff and then talk about stuff I just learned. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. So Robert, what would you recommend to faculty at KPU or you know, beyond, who are looking to start using technology in their curricula and their classroom activities, but maybe don't know where to start? Um, just play. Do it. Start small and play. Um, if you have a Moodle site, if you don't have a Moodle site, start with Moodle. Uh, if you have a Moodle site, then play with having a quiz online or uh, adding an electronic resource or finding a link um, include uh, hyperlinks to resources and so on. Change an assignment and let the students guide you with what technology they're using. 
if you only change a small aspect of the course, you can experiment with that without completely rebuilding the course. And you can really be surprised with the level of student engagement and some of the really cool results you can get from that. So just start with a, you know, a, a, an incremental minor little piece here and there, or, or sorry, start with a, a little change and then incrementally add things into it. If it doesn't work, then don't do it again. But it, you'd be surprised if you just get open to the idea, do something, start with a small piece and play around with it. Um, after a couple of years, you'll realize that this stuff can be really, really effective regardless of what technology you're using. And I think you also have to remember that you're not going to get it all done in one, one semester. You know, like you add two or three components to your curriculum and then the next time you teach that course, you add two or three more. And then eventually you have a curriculum that's full of tech. Well, every course is different. Every discipline is different. Every methodology is different. So I don't think there's any one technology that you can use that's sort of a, a, a one size fits all. And that's how I started. I just started teaching a couple of things online and, and um, doing audio podcasts and doing videos and uh, electronic submission. And I've gradually started to use more and more and more. Um, and if something doesn't work, I try it a second time in a slightly different way. And then if it's clearly not working, I throw it out. But I do that with face-to-face -face teaching or assignments that may or may not be working. It's just a matter of, of honestly just being open to the concept and then playing and, and playing around and experiment and see what works. And I think also too, you know, there's, there's kind of a freedom in saying to your students, like, I'm, I'm trying this new thing. I haven't done it before. We're going to learn how to do this together and it might be a total failure. Who's in? You know, the, the students are always up for that. And you can also pitch your students. Um, here's something I've never done before. It might not work. Who's in? Do you have any suggestions? And again, you'd be really surprised uh, about how, how often students are one or two or three steps ahead of the, the rest of us with technology. And they might have an idea about how you can incorporate X, Y, and Z into your teaching, either technologically or in terms of assignments. We, yeah. I mean, student feedback is really important. For sure, and I'm never surprised at what the students know, but what is really powerful in those moments is that you often see like pride emanating from a student when they bring something to class that you didn't know, that you're now using. They, Absolutely. They think it's really awesome to, Absolutely. to be... I guess the bearer of something new for the instructor. Well, I, I think, again, this is sort of about the way I, I understand education. I don't know everything, but I know more than my students about the content of my class. But my students know way more than I do about certain other things. So again, they can be a resource. And, and that's the thing, if you just start with, with a, a little piece here, a little piece there, see how students are using it, gets, get feedback on them, um, a feedback from them on whatever you're doing. Um, that's that's the, the single biggest piece of advice I would give anybody interested in playing with technology is just do it and play and see where you go. Okay. The last thing I want to ask you, the final word, I want you to tell me why you think it's important to be a teacher. I think we're all teachers in one way or another. We're always examples to our kids, to people around us. And um, it's important to me, I mean, this sounds outrageously arrogant, but the world is always changing. 
and it is important to me that I give my little nudge to help the world change in a direction I think it should go. Um, change is inevitable. Where do we want it to go? And so that's why it's important for me to be a teacher because I think I can sort of give that huge little, that huge iceberg a nudge in a direction that I think we should head. Well, and there's a lot of things that we need to change. So if as teachers we can throw little nuggets out into the cosmos that create positive change, then great, good day, made five bucks and changed the world a little bit. Works for me, collecting a paycheck, doing things that um, help make the world what I think is a better place, uh, it's kind of win-win. Done and done. Beyond the Chalkboard was created by Caitlin Kozlowski. Season 2 of Beyond the Chalkboard is produced, written, recorded, hosted, and edited by me, Dr. Gordon Cobb. For more information about educational technology at KPU, please visit the Teaching and Learning Commons website, or follow us on our blog site, Friday Morning Coffee, our Twitter site, or our newsletter series, all of which can be found on our website at kpu.ca forward slash teaching dash and dash learning. Thanks for joining us.